Osceola, Georgia is a small, quaint town of less than 4,000 residents, three hours from the state capital of Atlanta. One of those towns where no one really locks their doors and where residents feel safe inside the city limits. This was where 30-year-old Tara Grinstead called home, a former beauty queen with big life plans ahead of her. She was a high school history teacher in the town's one and only school district, Irwin County. Tara was one of the most popular teachers at the school. She was young and hip. And most importantly, she had a knack for understanding her students in a way her older colleagues couldn't, which made her a school-wide favorite. She had always competed in beauty pageants, but was now working to help the next generation by coaching young girls at local pageants in the surrounding areas. She would give advice on outfits, help with hair and makeup, or just be a supportive figure. One of these pageants was where Tara found herself on the evening of Saturday, October 22, 2005. A few of the young girls she coached were participating in the day's activities, and Tara had arrived earlier in the day to help. That evening, she headed back to Osceola soon after the pageant was over, making a pit stop at the house of her landlord's son for about 15 minutes. Then she stopped by a friend's barbecue. An administrator from the high school she worked at was hosting a Saturday night cookout for coworkers. She hung out with friends until a little after 11 p.m., when she announced that she would have to head home. There was video from the day's pageant that she needed to watch and give feedback on, and she wanted to get a head start on it. Tara said goodbye to her colleagues, all of whom assumed they would see her on Monday morning, and drove the few blocks back to her own house over on West Street Park. That evening at the barbecue would be the last time anyone would see her alive. On Monday morning, she was a no-show at work. Students, friends, and family knew it wasn't like her. A missing persons report was filed. Searches were held. But the case soon went cold. The investigation was too big for the Osceola Police Department to handle on their own. And so the Georgia Bureau of Investigations, or GBI, was called out to help. Over the next 11 years, the biggest case the GBI would ever investigate sat idle. Tara Grinstead had simply vanished without a trace. To many, it seemed like they would never find out what happened to her. But in 2016, Tara's case was suddenly back in the news. Atlanta-based documentarian Payne Lindsay began searching for a subject to cover for his next film when he stumbled upon Tara's unsolved case. He launched a podcast, Up and Vanished, with which he intended to help document the film's progress. The podcast took off overnight, rocketing to the top of the charts, dredging up new potential leads, and landing Tara's case on the front pages of newspapers once again. But would we really find out the truth of what happened to Tara Grinstead? After two arrests and two trials, many have their doubts. This is Jillian, and in partnership with Law and Crime, you are listening to Court Junkie, episode 206. Welcome. 
When Tara Grinstead was a no-show at work on Monday, October 24th, 2005, her co-workers immediately became concerned. They called her neighbor, Joe Portier, an older gentleman who lived next door. He agreed to go over to Tara's house and see if there were any signs of her being at home. This was around 8 a.m. The school also called Tara's mom, Faye, in the hopes that maybe she knew why her daughter hadn't shown up for work. But both inquiries turned up nothing, no Tara. So her coworkers decided to go to her house for themselves to check on her. But they too found nothing, only reporting an odd latex glove in the front yard. Osilla police, whose department was located just a few blocks away, were called. The chief of police, Billy Hancock, arrived soon after. Investigators discovered a business card wedged in the front door of the home. It was from a police officer, Heath Dykes, from the city of Perry, Georgia, almost an hour away. Chief Hancock couldn't readily explain what the business card could mean, but he had it bagged as evidence. They pressed on. The front door was locked, but Mr. Portier had a key, and so they were able to get inside. There was a pile of clothes on the bedroom floor. Tara's phone was still sitting, charging on the nightstand in her bedroom. Her purse and keys were both missing. A broken necklace was laying on the floor. Sitting on the nightstand was a lamp with its shade askew. An alarm clock lay underneath her bed. The time it displayed was six hours off. But there were no textbook signs of a struggle. Tara's car, parked outside the home in its usual spot, was unlocked. Officers noticed the driver's seat was set too far back for five foot four Tara. An envelope containing $100 in cash was found on the dashboard. But once again, nothing odd enough to suggest that Tara was in danger or that she had been taken from her home. Except Tara's beloved dog, Dolly Madison, was out in the backyard. Dolly was an inside dog who Tara treated like her own child. That was odd. The latex glove found in the front yard was also taken into evidence. And soon, Chief Hancock would call in the GBI and lead Detective Gary Rothwell for help. Tara Grinstead had seemingly vanished into thin air. Local searches were conducted in Osceola, but they yielded nothing. And both Osceola PD and the GBI knew that they needed to begin looking into Tara's life to see if any clues to her disappearance could be found there. The first person they decided to interview was a recent ex-boyfriend of Tara's, Marcus Harper. Marcus wouldn't be the first person to tell you that the relationship he had with Tara was less than perfect, even volatile at times. Marcus was a former Osceola cop turned army ranger, and the two had been in an on-again, off-again relationship for six years. In the summer of 2005, months before Tara's disappearance, the couple had called things off for good. But family and close friends said that Tara was devastated. This was the person she wanted to marry, and suddenly that relationship was done. 
When Tara was reported missing on October 24th, Marcus was home from overseas deployment on a three-week vacation. He had been home for weeks, but had reportedly never reached out to Tara or told her he was back. Marcus told investigators that during their relationship, both he and Tara had seen other people. He told them the last time he saw Tara was October 14th in the morning. He said she woke him up by knocking on the window of his home. She was upset and crying. He said she told him if she were ever to see him with another woman, she would kill herself. But Marcus was soon no longer a suspect or person of interest. He had a solid alibi with witnesses who could corroborate it. But while investigators moved on, rumors and speculation about him would continue to circulate for years in the small town of Osilla. While GBI agents and Osilla police awaited the results of the latex glove that had been sent off to the crime lab, a new name popped up. This person had an arrest record and had previously been arrested on the front lawn of Tara's home for criminal trespassing. Anthony Vickers was a former student of Tara's from Irwin County High School. He was 20 years old at the time of her disappearance, but three years prior, Tara had been his history teacher. Soon after he graduated, they reportedly began to pursue a friendship that turned romantic. It was something Tara had reportedly kept private. But earlier in their relationship, she had confided in a close friend that she felt Anthony was too dependent on her. On March 30th, 2005, seven months before her disappearance, Anthony was arrested in the front yard of her home. According to Anthony's account, the whole thing was blown out of proportion. Tara wasn't answering her phone and wouldn't return any of his messages that day. He grew concerned and decided, only living a few blocks away from her, to take a quick drive to check on her and ask what was wrong. When he arrived, Tara wouldn't allow him inside. It quickly turned into a heated argument. Tara had another man over at her house at the time. Anthony saw him and insisted that he speak with Tara alone. He tried entering the home and the argument escalated, moving from the front steps onto the front lawn. This quickly caught the attention of neighbors who phoned Osilla police. Anthony was backing out of her driveway when cop cars blocked him in and proceeded to arrest him for criminal trespassing. Following Tara's disappearance, Anthony was questioned by police. He cooperated, giving DNA samples, and allowed them to search his home, cars, and property repeatedly. They found nothing to connect him to Tara's disappearance. In the meantime, investigators had received the DNA back on the latex glove found in her front yard. It revealed the makeup of a white male and the DNA of Tara, but no matches had been found in the criminal database and Anthony Vickers was no match either. There was one other interesting piece of evidence that police had taken from Tara's home, that business card belonging to Perry police officer Heath Dykes that had been wedged in the front door. Investigators learned that Heath had gone to high school with Tara and grew up with her in the small town of Hawkinsville, Georgia. They had rekindled their friendship in the years after graduation and remained close. He was now married and had been promoted to detective. When the GBI and Osilla PD came knocking, 
asking how his business card had landed at the door of a now-missing person. He had a simple explanation. On Sunday, October 23rd, the day after Tara was last seen, he received a call from Faye Grinstead, Tara's mother. Having grown up with the family, Heath was a friend to all of them, and Faye asked him for help in checking up on Tara. Faye explained to Heath that she had attempted to reach Tara that day, but her calls and messages had gone unanswered, which left her a little worried. Heath said he hadn't seen Tara recently, but offered to make the hour-long drive to Osilla that Sunday to check on her. When he arrived, he knocked on the front door, walked around the house, but didn't find her. Before leaving, he wedged his business card in the front door, in the hopes that when she did arrive back home, it would be the first thing she saw. He returned to Perry that same day and continued with his normal routine, but he began to grow concerned for Tara's whereabouts. He left her dozens of voicemails. All of them went unanswered. Before the investigators concluded their interview with him, Heath gave them one more piece of critical information. He had been having an affair with Tara. Were you married in 2005 when your relationship turned to a sexual nature? Yes. Um, during that time period, when you were involved in a romantic relationship with Miss Princeton, how often would you see her? Maybe twice a month. It was, it was. How often did you speak with her? We spoke daily. For almost two years between 2004 and 2005, Heath would often make the drive from Perry to Osilla to spend time with Tara at her home. He was someone the neighbors often recognized. He even spoke with Tara while she was at the barbecue on the night she was last seen. And the day that Anthony Vickers was arrested outside the front steps of Tara's home, Heath Dykes had been the man inside the house that Tara was concealing. But as with the other suspects, Heath had an alibi. On the night Tara disappeared, he had been at home with his wife, watching a football game. For the GBI and Osilla police, it was back to the drawing board. Time passed and the case grew cold. Tara's family was frustrated that the local police and even GBI agents had seemed to have exhausted all of their leads. Tara's sister hired Dr. Maurice Godwin, a private investigator, to continue the search. He took the case on in March 2006, five months after Tara disappeared. He traveled to Osilla that same month, grabbed the keys to Tara's house from Tara's sister, and spent two whole days turning every corner of the property over. GPI and Osilla police had long said that the house showed no signs of a struggle, but when Dr. Godwin searched, he found a broken necklace clasp, the same necklace investigators had bagged as evidence the day Tara was reported missing. To him, this showed the necklace had been ripped off. Dr. Godwin also noticed that Tara's headboard was cracked, a fact that was missing from any GBI report. And that pageant video Tara had to head home to review the night of the barbecue was never found. Those who had attended the pageant that Saturday in October didn't recall video of the pageant being available. As Dr. Godwin dove deeper into his research, 
he came across odd roadblocks. Detectives and officers were unwilling to speak with him, and talking to locals about the case only drew odd stares and cold shoulders. It wasn't long before Dr. Godwin's own search was growing cold. Years flew by. It was now 2016, approaching 11 years without any sighting of Tara Grinstead. And that's when Payne Lindsay decided to cover Tara's case on his podcast, Up and Vanished. The podcast took off, receiving over 50 million downloads and thrusting Tara's case back into the news. Payne partnered with Dr. Maurice Godwin, and together, they compiled dozens of episodes that detailed every piece of evidence known to exist about the case. Tara's case was front and center again, to her community, to the country, and even across the world. Would the newfound attention on the case finally help to solve it? In 2016, a man named John McCullough was finally given the opportunity to share his story. For nine years, he had placed numerous calls to both local Georgia police, including Osilla, and even the GBI itself. He told them he knew Tara Grinstead was dead, and most importantly, he knew who had done it. The first of these calls, John said, took place in 2007. Each time he called, nothing would come of it. He remarked how odd it was that no one seemed interested in what he had to say. He continued to call until one day his phone rang. It was the GBI, and they wanted to know everything. John, who had served in the military, told them he had a close army friend from Osceola, a man named Bo Dukes. Bo Dukes had attended Irwin County High School the same school where Tara taught history. John and Bo met at boot camp and became fast friends. In 2006, John said he was invited to celebrate Christmas in Osceola with the Dukes family, a prominent family in the community, who owned several expansive pecan orchards. He said during a party that took place in a pecan orchard that Christmas break, Bo, who had had a few drinks, asked if he was his battle buddy. When John said yes, Bo said he had to tell him something. He then told him that he knew what happened to Tara Grinstead. He said his high school buddy and roommate, Ryan Duke, had murdered Tara in her home. Weeks following the confession, John tussled with what to do. The weight of what Bo had told him and having seen a billboard with Tara's picture on it earlier that day, while Bo showed him around town, was all too much. He decided to call the local police in Georgia, but to his surprise, he received no calls back. After their interview with John, the GBI requested an interview with Bo Dukes. Bo agreed to speak with them, but vehemently denied everything. He even denied knowing his army buddy, John. With no evidence to tie him to the case other than a word-of-mouth story, investigators let him go. It was later discovered that back in 2005, investigators had responded to those pecan orchards in a call related to the case. They were dispatched to the area, but when they arrived, dispatchers called them off. 
There was confusion over county jurisdiction, and the orchard straddled county lines. Officers were called away from the orchard before they were even able to get out of their cars. That tip was never followed up on. In 2017, a year after John McCullough spoke with the GBI, a woman named Brooke Sheridan called them with more information, and she too pointed the finger at Bo Dukes. She said Bo was her boyfriend at the time, and after he had interviewed with the GBI the year prior, he started acting differently. He was starting to have severe anxiety attacks, panic attacks. Um, he was just more, he kept to himself a lot. Um, he had suicidal ideations. Um, She said he later confided in her. He had had a severe panic attack, um, and he, you know, after I got him calm, he, um, I told him that he needed to tell me what was going on, and he proceeded to tell me what had happened. Okay. What did he tell you? He told me about his, that his roommate had gone into her home, had strangled her and that he had put her body on, or he had taken his truck and put her body on um, Hudson property in Fitzgerald and that he helped to destroy the body. Okay, so I want to be kind of clear because you, you said the word he a couple of times. Who was it that you were told killed and strangled Tara Grinstead? Ryan Duke. Who was it that you were told actually put her body on Hudson Property Farms? Ryan Duke. Who was it that you were told helped burn the body? Bo Dukes. Um, And when we say helped burn the body, was there more than one person other than Mr. Bo Dukes? Was anyone else involved with burning Tara Grinstead's body? Ryan Duke. Bo told her that Ryan blackmailed him into helping him get rid of the body. Ryan Duke was also a former student at Irwin High School. Brooke said Bo had confided in her that not only did Ryan hijack his truck for the crime, but he then utilized the Duke's family pecan orchards to dispose of the body. Bo told her that the two of them burned Tara's body in the orchard over the course of two days, destroying all the evidence. What's more, Brooke said she had talked to Bo and that he was ready to be interviewed by the GBI once more. And this time, she said he wanted to tell the truth. Bo Dukes and Ryan Duke had both been in their early 20s when Tara Grinstead went missing. They both attended the local high school, and both knew of her. In 2005, the year Tara was murdered, Ryan worked at the local plastic manufacturing plant, while Bo worked sporadically on his family's pecan farm. In 2006, Bo left Osilla for Army Boot Camp, where he met John McCullough. But his deployment and time in the Army would come to an end in 2012, when he was convicted of stealing over $100,000 worth of military supplies. He ended up serving time in federal prison just over two years. 
Ryan had flown lower under the radar over the years. However, he was booked for a DUI by an Osceola officer on February 20th, 2010. But no one had suspected either one of them of murder. On February 21st, 2017, Bo made good on his promise to give the GBI another interview. He said that Ryan told him he killed Tara Grinstead and that he had used Bo's truck to move her body. At first, Bo said he didn't believe him, but the next day he learned that Tara was missing. He asked Ryan if he had really done it, and Ryan said yes. Bo said again he didn't really believe him. Ryan asked him to come with him to Bo's family pecan orchard, where he said he had taken the body. Sure enough, the body was there. Bo said he freaked out. Ryan told him he had gone to Tara's house at night, used a credit card to get in the front door, and then jumped on her and strangled her in her bed. He said Ryan asked him to help him get rid of the body, and he agreed. They moved it deeper into the woods, covered it with wood, and set it on fire. They then kept the fire burning over the next two days, until he said the bones turned to ash. Bo said he remembered asking Ryan several times why he did it, but that Ryan didn't tell him. He said he asked whether he went there to rape her or kidnap her, and Ryan said no. On February 23, 2017, Ryan Duke was arrested and charged with Tara's murder. He, too, confessed. His confession was leaked out via GBI transcripts. Ryan told the GBI agents that he was a drug addict. He said the night he broke into Tara's home, he was searching for drug money and wasn't looking to commit murder. But while he was in her home, rifling through her purse, Tara suddenly appeared behind him and startled him. He said he hit her with his fist because he was scared. And suddenly, she was dead. He said he then ran out of the house and returned the next day to dispose of her body. In March 2017, Bo was arrested and charged with concealing a body, lying during the police investigations, and hindering the arrest of Ryan Duke. With both men in custody, the GBI headed out to the Pecan Orchard, led by Ryan and Bo, in search of the place they said they had burned Tara's body. Investigators recovered human bone skull fragments, and that was all they needed. The investigation was nearly over, and now they were headed for a day in court. The GBI credited the Up and Vanished podcast with playing a significant role in the case. But as the podcast, still at the top of the charts, continued covering the latest developments and interviewing people, a local judge issued a gag order. Suddenly, everyone related to the case was forbidden from speaking with the media, and specifically with podcast host Payne Lindsay. The gag order would eventually be scaled back in March 2017. Another year would pass, and in 2018, just as two legal teams prepared to go to court, Ryan Duke's attorney now argued that the confession he had given to GBI investigators, the one transcribed on paper and later leaked, was all false. 
According to his attorney, Ryan was on medication during the confession, and everything he said wasn't true. But prosecutors said they had more evidence that corroborated Ryan's confession. DNA from that latex glove found in Tara's front yard was a match to both Tara's DNA and Ryan's. Both men would be going to trial. Ryan Duke for the murder of Tara Grinstead and Bo Dukes for helping cover it up. But did prosecutors match the right crime with the right perpetrator? While out on bond and awaiting trial for his role in Tara's murder, Bo Dukes was arrested in January 2019 on completely different charges. Prosecutors say he went on an alleged crime spree on New Year's Day 2018, which included kidnapping and raping two women. Following the crimes, he fled leading police on a massive five-day manhunt before being located by U.S. Marshals. In March 2019, Bo went to trial first in Wilcox County for concealing Tara's murder. The trial lasted just four days. The jury heard his on-camera confession, where he said Ryan had murdered Tara, then taken his truck to dump her body in his family's pecan orchards. Bo had said he then helped him burn the body. The jury also heard from John McCullough. He had said uh, that he had technically killed Tara to him. Um, The friend had said that. Yes, that he had uh, beat her and uh, accidentally strangled her um, and killed her, and he didn't know what to do. So he needed his truck to be able to move her body. And did Bo Dukes tell you if he loaned his truck to his friend? He said um, that he had went with his friend and used the truck, which was the white Ford F-150. That was manual transmission. And I know that truck because I actually drove that truck while I was in Osceola, which makes it even weirder for me. Um, and did he tell you once he had gone with, with Mr. Bo Dukes had gone with his friend uh, to, to help him where they went? Um, he, in a sense, didn't disclose the exact location of where they went to pick up the body and, and, and said, but he had said that they had went and recovered the body. And they continued to take it to the middle of uh, his grandpa's or the Hudson Pecan Orchard. Uh, And the exact location didn't tell me, but had made the comment of, you know, we took her to the middle of the Pecan Orchard and burned her body. This was not the typical campfire story John was used to hearing. How did you react to what your your battle buddy had had told you? I... Messed me up pretty good. What do you mean it messed you up? Um, It was just tough to deal with that. Members of Bo's own family also testified for the state. Do you know the defendant in this case, Mr. Bayboots? Yes, I do. How do you know Bo? Unfortunately, he's my cousin. Bo's cousin, Wes Connor, recalled a conversation he had with him 
shortly after Bo left the military. He alluded to the fact that he was involved uh, with a, a certain disappearance and uh, that he had he had kind of helped dispose of uh, of, of of a body. Did, didn't didn't allude to who that was uh, or, or you know or what case it was revolving around. Uh, but he did allude to the fact that he uh, he was involved. Bo's brother, Jake Dukes, testified that he found out about Bo's involvement after the news broke in 2017. He said he called his brother to find out what had happened. He told me that, that Ryan Duke had, had murdered Tara Grinstead and that um, he had helped, helped cover it up. Bo's uncle, Randy Hudson, testified that he often got onto his nephew for building bonfires back in October 2005 and even threatened him to stop. Randy told the court that he knew nothing in regard to his nephew's involvement in Tara's disappearance and murder. When asked if he had ever done anything to help protect Bo from law enforcement or the investigation, he replied with a defiant, hell no. Gary Rothwell, the lead investigator of the GBI case, also took the stand and admitted that they had dropped the ball in their response to a 2005 tip about Bo and Ryan that had come in on the tip line. I have since learned and reviewed the file and found uh, that there was a reference to Ryan and Bo in an other agency report in 2005 that was incorporated subsequently into the GBI file and that in July and in October of 2008, we made reference to them in two investigative summaries that were essentially from almost identical sources uh, where these names were mentioned. Rothwell explained that the tip was likely missed because the GBI believed it had already been addressed by another department, like the Osceola local police. On March 21st, 2019, Bo Dukes was found guilty of lying to the GBI, hindering Ryan Dukes' arrest and concealing Tara's death. He was sentenced to the maximum of 25 years in prison. It took the jury less than an hour to reach their verdict. During his sentencing, he spoke for the first time to say that he had failed Tara. I failed Tara Grinstead. I failed her family. I failed the local community. And I hope these proceedings have given some closure to the many people hurt by my actions. And I want each of you to know that I am truly remorseful. Ryan Duke's trial started in May 2022, but it would be much more complicated than Bo's. Ryan was now saying that Bo had been the one to murder Tara and that he had helped him cover it up. Next week in part two, you'll hear testimony from Ryan's trial, including from Ryan himself, who tells the jury what he says really happened to Tara Grinstead. So now we have both defendants pointing the finger at each other. One of them is lying, but who? And that's all for this episode. You can follow me on Twitter at Court Junkie Pod, on Instagram at Court Junkie, 
or you can email me at podcast at courtjunkie.com. This episode was researched and written by law and crime staff. Also, before I go, I have an exciting announcement. As most of you know, my passion is covering criminal cases and trials. It's been my main interest since I was little, and I'm planning on continuing on with Court Junkie until I can't do it anymore. But over the years, I found myself coming across other kinds of cases that really interest me, but that would never really fit in with Court Junkie. And those involve civil cases. It's been a very long work in progress, but over the last year or so, I've been working with a team on a new podcast where we can cover those civil cases. Which leads me to my announcement. Those of us here at Court Junkie are producing a brand new podcast called Civil, where we'll cover civil cases and trials. It will be hosted by me, Jillian Jalali, researched by Nicole Gusmarati, and written by Matt Stroud and Nick Kepler. So you can find Civil by either searching for Civil, that's C-I-V-I-L, and Court Junkie on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Or you can check the show notes for the link. Check out the trailer that I just put up there, and please subscribe. We're hoping to release the first two episodes within the next couple weeks. We'll be covering all sorts of civil cases, including ones you're already familiar with, like the O.J. Simpson civil trial, where he was actually found liable for the deaths of Ronald Goldman and Nicole Brown Simpson and Alex Jones versus the parents of Sandy Hook. But we also have some cases you've likely never heard of that I think are just fascinating. So check out Civil, listen to the trailer, and subscribe. We'll be releasing episodes every other week. And that's all. Thanks again for listening. Until next time.